0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Fairly lengthy passage, but I want us to think of it in terms of two things. One, continuing our thinking about union with Christ and the resurrection, and how this fits with what Paul is saying here about that union and about his resurrection. And then secondly, I want us to think in terms of coming to the Lord's table. When we come to the Lord's table to observe the Lord's Supper or communion, as it is variously called, we come with an idea that there is something of symbol here in that mystical union that has taken place between the believer and the Lord. And we come to, to recognize that it was His body and His blood that was shed on our behalf that we come to thank him for and to praise him for, but also we come for it to have us think about that death and think about that union and think clearly about what it means to be in Christ. In this passage Paul is talking about, he's really starting the practical side of Colossians here in verse 1 of chapter 3. Like most of Paul's letters, the first half is always a doctrinal expression, a doctrinal foundation. The second half of the book is the, uh, is the practical application of that doctrinal truth. And Paul has been dealing in Colossians already in, in chapters 1 and 2 about the preeminence of Christ, the glories of Christ, the, the, the Christ being above all other things and all other people and all of other so-called gods in all the world, that Christ is preeminent. He's number one. He's above it all. He's the one who, for whom he, he was there at creation. He was a part of creation with the Father. He was there and all things were made by him and for him and through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. I mean... Paul is wanting us to see that Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the one who came into the people saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, that he is the preeminent one, he is the second person of the Trinity, he is the one who reigns forever and ever. I mean, Paul wants us to see that. And then he wants us to see what that means in our lives on a daily basis. He wants us to understand how that translates into our daily living. And so in these passages, he's going to start with verses 1 through 4, and he's going to talk about some, some appeals, really two appeals, and then three motivations that bring us to, to follow those appeals that he makes. And then in verses 5 to, through 17, he's going to talk about what does it look like when we understand those two appeals. When we live out those two appeals, what will take place in my life, in your life, on a daily, consistent basis if we're doing the things that he's appealing to us to do, okay? Listen to what Paul says as I start reading in verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, you know that therefore always refers back to what's just gone. On the basis of everything I've said, Paul says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, because of that, therefore... Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also Put them all aside, anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Jew, Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or sentient, slave or free man, but but Christ is all and is in all who are in him. Paul is saying, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. The Apostle Paul is saying here that something radical has taken place in your life if you're in Christ if you are in union with Christ it's not just a matter of having a religious experience it's not just a matter of of adding on to your life something that that's kind of here I am and I'll add on Jesus and I'll add on Christianity and and that will be a subsidiary of the rest of my life no Paul is saying here quite clearly that if you are in Christ, if you have come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then I want you to understand, Paul would say, that you are a whole new creation. You have been changed from the inside out. You are no longer what you were. You are now dead to that old man. You are now alive to Christ, and you are to live out your life in that manner. There's to be a visible, noticeable, clear difference in your life, old man, new man. They don't even look alike in many ways. Although you still have the same physical body, although you still live in the flesh, as it were, you still live a life that is is on this earth. Paul says you need to understand that there are things about your life that have changed so dramatically, so greatly, that it is different as night and day. As a matter of fact, these first four verses that Paul deals with here point to the believer's union with Christ as the root principle of the whole Christian life. It's not not just something that's kind of casually added on. It is the root principle of everything in your life if you are in union with Christ. And and it becomes the point of departure for Paul and the source of power for all that we do. Uh, Mold, uh, H.C.G. Mold, a New Testament commentator from years ago, called this passage one of the golden paragraphs of the whole Bible. He said, if you think on it, if you dwell on it, you realize that this is that point of departure whereby your strength and your power comes for daily living and everything else falls under that concept. Union with Christ, alive to him. So Paul makes two appeals and gives three motivations before he outlines what this new life starts to look like in Jesus Christ. The first appeal is found in verse 1. He simply says there, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, here's the appeal, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul says if you've been given new life, if you've been raised, resurrected from death, spiritual death, in the newness of life with Christ, then here's the key to continuing on in the Christian life. You keep seeking, you keep pursuing, you keep desiring the things of Christ. Desire those things that are above. Desire righteousness and holiness. Desire His presence in your life. Desire His His direction and guidance in your life above everything else. In other words, we are to see to it that our interests are centered in Christ. Boy, we, we live in a world, even in the church, folks, where it, it's hard to, to look around and say, well, our interests are centered in Christ. That's why last night, if you read my tweets, you saw that at about 11 o'clock, I tweeted, okay now, GBC, let's refocus. Let's refocus. We, you know, we, we've been focused on one thing. And now let's refocus and get ready for a great day of worship and come into the Lord's table. Let's refocus. Let's let's think about, let's pursue, let's seek the things that are above. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get distracted in this world and about the things of the earth. But Paul is saying here, our attitudes, our ambitions, indeed the whole outlook of our life, are to be molded by our relation to Him. doesn't mean you can't. Enjoy sports. Doesn't mean you can't go to work. Doesn't mean you can't do a lot of things that are quote earthbound in this life. But it means if you are in Christ and you have truly been raised from death into life, and you've truly become a new creature, a new creature, and a new creation because of what Christ has done in your life, there is to be a constant pursuing and a constant focusing on those things that are centered in him keep seeking the things above Paul's going to give concrete expression of what that means in verses 12 through 17 and we'll look at that in just a minute and tie it back to what it means to seek uh, to keep seeking the things above then the second appeal and it's really similar to it but it's just a a little bit nuanced, is in verse 2 he says, not only are you to seek the things above, but he says, set your mind on the things above. You seek it, you have an ambition for it, you you desire it. But here Paul is saying, I think you give the things of Christ a prominent, large place in your everyday thinking. You you know, years ago there was the, the... bracelets and the bumper stickers and everything else WWJD what would Jesus do that, that that became very trite and my answer was always I can't do what Jesus would do because he was God and I'm not so it, it's kind of super, a superfluous question to begin with but there is a sense in which there's a sense in which there's a kernel of truth in that In that in setting our mind on things above, not on things of the earth, we think on the things of Christ and we let Him mold and shape our thinking. It means more than just thinking about heavenly things. It includes a call to make the bent of our inner nature, the bent of our whole life, the tendency of our thought will be toward Christ and toward God in a Trinitarian sort of relationship. Paul said, you want to know what it means to live a risen life, a life raised from the dead with Christ? Well, it's going to mean that your focus and your thinking and your pursuits and your desires are going to be changed. And, and I would say to you this morning, and I don't mean this ugly or anything else, I, I guess I'll not say Kentucky basketball, I'll say Alabama football. If that's all you pursue, and if that captivates your life, and that's, if Alabama football is all you can think about, then I would say you need to reevaluate your, th- your thought processes. Are they set up on Christ? Because Paul says that is the, the kernel of truth. That is the, the, the root principle for everything in the whole of the Christian life. It's the root principle. Just as I would say to you that what we'll be celebrating next Sunday is the linchpin. Upon which the Christianity stands or falls. The resurrection of Christ. You disprove the resurrection and Christianity collapses. We'll talk about that next week. But in the same way, union with Christ. My being crucified and dying and raising with Christ. My union with Christ. Is the root principle of the whole Christian life. And unless you grasp that and grasp what Paul is saying here, the whole of your Christian life will be nothing more than, than moralism and legalism and religion. It'll never have the relationship with that one to whom you are in union with as a believer in Christ unless you understand that truth. So if Paul says, set your mind on things above, keep seeking the things above, set your mind on things above. And not on things of the earth. And then he gives three motivations for these actions. And they're quite simple. They're quite clear. They're found right there in those first four verses. He says, first of all, the first motivation is our union with Christ and resurrection. It says in that first part of one. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you have been raised up with Christ, if there is a resurrection in your life, then do these things. Until you realize the depth of what has taken place, if you're a believer in your being raised from death, until you recognize that, then you don't have the motivation to seek the things above. Anyway, too many Christians just think they're so earthbound. That They don't think about the things that God is wanting to do in your life that will only come when you're seeking Him and seeking His will and seeking His purposes in everything of your life. It corresponds with with, with 2.20 of of the same book where, where Paul said, If you died with Christ to the elementary prince of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things, destined to perish with youth use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men Paul's basically saying there to the Colossian Christians and saying to you and me listen if you've died to the elementary principles of this life if you've died to legalism and moralism and all these things that are just man-made systems why do you keep saying don't touch this don't eat that don't drink that they're all good gifts of God when used properly why do you get in a a legalistic bind that says oh I can't do that God won't be happy with me there are principles that and God's very clear that you don't abuse any of it you don't overuse any of it you don't you you don't but you use the good things that God has given and and you don't set up a, a legalistic system that that shuts other people out who maybe are in Christ just because they don't, they don't follow your own moralism and moral standard that's extra-biblical. That's what Paul's concerned about. So he says, listen, if you've, if you've died to the things of this world, you've been raised up with Him, then recognize that the motivation for your seeking Him, the motivation for your thinking on Him, is your resurrection in Christ. Second motivation is, is verse three. Again, it comes back to that death. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, that one verse gives such, such imagery to me. I, I don't know if, if, if you could just kind of get, get your mind around that just a little bit. He said, If you have died, and basically says, You have died, for you have died if you are in Christ, if you are in union with Christ. And your life now is hidden with Christ in God. You are in Christ, in God. There's a protection there. There's a security there. There is a guidance there that only comes when you recognize that union with Christ. You're in Christ. In Christ, you are in God. And the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the person of the Holy Spirit has encompassed you completely and you're hidden with him paul says that'll be a great motivation to seeking him because there's a real sense positionally that you right now sitting physically in grace baptist church at 340 oakleaf lane are really somewhere else you're in christ you're seated with christ at the right hand of the father a, a place of of clear security And protection that comes from being in Him. I don't know if you think on that too much, your head might bust, burst, excuse me. If you think on that too much, it might just captivate you, though, to think on it all the more. Then there's a third motivation, and that is found in verse 4, and that's our future manifestation with Christ in glory. He says, when Christ, who is our life, what, what a statement. We had this life, but Christ is our life. That's what he said to the Galatian Christians. Uh, you know, I've died, yet I live. Yet it's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. I mean, when Christ, who is our life, one of the great principles of the Christian life is that Christ is now lo- your life, living in you, guiding you as a believer, that union with Christ. He's our life, and when he's revealed in glory, coming again, you will be revealed with him in glory. So Paul looks to the past and said you've died. He looks to the present and says you're resurrected with him. And he looks to the future and says, when he comes again, you will be manifested with him in glory. You will be as he is. You'll be you'll be seen as he is with him in all of glory. Those are great motivations. seeking the things above for setting your mind on the things above and and Paul makes that so clear in those first four verses the root the root of the Christian life is the principle of union in Christ then for the rest of the section he just gives a practical outworking the underlying thought here in the rest of these verses is this let the life that is in you by virtue of your union with Christ work itself out and express itself in every thought, every deed, and every relationship. The principle he gives here is, listen, it is a truth if you are in Christ. If you are in union with Christ, it is an absolute and total truth that he indwells you and you indwell him and you are hidden with him and God the Father. And all of that is, a, is working itself out and you're pursuing it. And if that's the case, here's the practical way that your life will work it out. And, and, he, and he does two things. He says, here's some, here's some vices that need to be put to death and here's some virtues that need to be cultivated. Verses 5 through 7. It says, therefore consider, if you're in King James, it says reckon, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. What are the members of your earthly body? It's everything that makes up this body, from your tips of your toes to the top of your head and everything in between, everything. And basically he's saying, let the members of your body recognize that they are dead to certain things they're dead to immorality they're dead to impurity they're dead to passion and evil desire and greed and by the way Paul says greed is what amounts to idolatry because it's wanting more building my own kingdom building my own god being my own god that's my greed just to gather it all for myself that's idolatry Paul says may not be a little statue sitting in your bedroom but it's idolatry because you want it all for yourself those are things paul says that you're to reckon the members of your body as dead to for it's because of these things that the wrath of god will come upon the sons of disobedience and in them you also once walked when you were living in them paul said listen every single believer every single man woman young person that is in union with christ once was like that they were once idolaters they were greedy they once walked in impurity just wanting their own passions to be fulfilled they they walked in many cases in immorality and and that means everything from impure thoughts and impure focus such as pornography and 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 just lustfulness all the way to sexual immorality i I mean paul says you you walked in things like that those were a part of your life those are just who you were. But now, in Christ, those are dead to you. And you ought to consider them dead. Now, they will try to rear their head. They will try to act very much alive. And, and, and Satan will try to, try to say, hey, don't you remember? Don't you remember how that felt? Don't you remember how good that was? Don't you remember how fun that was? Don't you remember that? Paul says, listen, just consider reckon yourselves dead to that. Turn away from it. You, you can't set your mind on things above and set your, your thinking on Christ, thinking the thoughts of Christ, if your thoughts are continually drawn back to things that you are dead to in Jesus Christ. So do that. goes on and says, also put them all aside. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech. Sometimes, we let those things rear their heads up, don't we? We get angry when someone does something to us and we say it's our right not to be treated that way. Well, I'm glad Jesus didn't say on the cross, it's my right not to be treated this way. Put aside anger and all these things. Don't lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, put on the new self in Christ, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, sentient, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all who are in Christ. I mean, understand this. In that one verse, Paul strikes down racism. He strikes down religiosity. He strikes down the idea that I'm better than anybody else. He says, listen, if a person is in Christ, and Christ is in him. He or she or your brother or sister. And you're to treat them that way. You're to honor them that way. Because this renewal that comes from the renewal of Christ changes our attitudes, it changes our thinking, it changes everything. So so in verses 1 through 7, and really 1 through 11... The Apostle Paul is saying, Here are the vices. Here are the things that you're to concentrate on putting to death. You say, But, or consider them as dead. You say, I thought they are dead. They are. But in our flesh, we still tend to dig them up every now and then. It's an old country song. I don't remember who wrote it or who sang it, but it's a song Digging Up Bones. I'm digging up bones. Looking at things that ought to be left alone. That's what this is. They're bones. They're skeletons. They're dead. Sometimes we get tempted and sometimes we fall and sometimes we slip up and we go out digging up those bones again, thinking about that. Paul says, consider it as dead. Leave it dead in your life. Then he says there's some virtues that need to be cultivated. Verse 12, so then those who have been chosen of God... Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Same thing he said to the Ephesians when he said, forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you i guarantee you we can sit here this morning every single one of us and we can think of something that somebody has done to hurt us we can think of something that somebody's done maybe as recently as this weekend maybe 20 years ago and we're still holding on to it we're still harboring it we're still saying but they've never asked me for forgiveness for that They've never shown me any real sense of repentance toward me, you know. And I, I, I just can't let go of it. I just can't forgive them. I just can't say that. that boy, if you're here in Christ, can, can you hear what Paul is saying? We are to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Again, I'm, I'm glad Jesus didn't say on the cross, I don't have any right to be here. I'm getting down. And I'm glad that God doesn't look at my life, and if you're honest, your life, and say, you know, I've just had it with Haines. He blows it over and over and over. He, is, he, he, he disappoints me. He lets me down. He, he's, he's in me, and yet he acts like he's not sometimes. I'm just done with it. I'm not forgiving that sin anymore. You know what would happen if he did say that? You'd lose your salvation. If you had it to start with, you'd, be, you'd know the wrath of God because it's the wrath of God that comes against these things. But he says, listen, forgive one another in the same way that God has forgiven you. It's a pretty high standard. It, it really is. It's, it's a... It's a pretty high standard. I mean, I could, I've said this often, you know, and I say this to couples all the time in premarital counseling. I say, you know, when we get to that point on, on forgiving one another as God in God Christ has forgiven you, I say, it would have been really better, I would have liked it a lot better if, if, if Paul had just said, if the Holy Spirit had just said through Paul, listen, just forgive each other. And left it there. Just left it there. Oh, okay, I will. When they ask forgiveness, when they act like they deserve forgiveness, when they when they really are, when I really see them squirming because they're they're miserable because they've done that. No, I'll, I'll think about forgiving them. I said, no. You forgive them in the same way that Christ has forgiven you. Same way that God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. It's absolute. It's perfect. It's forever. Your sins are covered by the righteousness of Christ. And it all, all of that is to be the the standard by which we forgive one another. It says, you know, bearing one another, forgiving one another. Verse 14, beyond all these things, that's enough. But he says, beyond all of this, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. That is the church, the body of Christ. You were called in one body to be united in love. And and so minister to one another, admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I mean, Paul says, you know, when we sing, we are worshiping him, we are adoring him. But when we sing, we really do minister to one another. I love to hear the voices around me singing. This morning, a beautiful young voice singing behind me and singing with joy, and that just made my day. Ministered to me. We care for one another. We minister to one another, even in our singing. Because truth comes through singing. I mean, those, those songs we sang today just carry with it the truth of the gospel that ministers one another. And he says, whatever you do, here's the, here's the overall application of, of what's to be cultivated. Whatever you do in your union with Christ, whether it's in word or deed, whether it's what you say, how you speak, our actions you do, whatever they are, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, through him, to God the Father. Our lives in Christ are to be lives that are constantly giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ. They're constantly lived in such a way, oh, it's, it's not, uh, we, we'll blow it, I know that. And then we'll have times when we don't live up to what the standard is. The standard is Christ. But, but there's to be that desire, there's to be that passion. Because we're hidden with Christ in God. We are at one with Him. In union with Him. The challenge of the Apostle Paul is here. What God has done in you, in Christ, live it out. This week, we're, we're coming toward Easter. We're going to celebrate the resurrection together. We, we do that every Sunday on one level, but once a year, we really talk about the resurrection, that, that center point of Christianity. There's going to be opportunities this week for you to show this grace Of Christ, this love of Christ, this this living out of what's inside you in Christ. To people you work with, people you live near, with people you come in contact with. To people that mistreat you in a forgiving and loving attitude. The question is, are we going to dig up bones? Treat them like we would have when we were not in Christ? Are we going to honor Christ? Glorify Christ? Exalt the Father? Point to Christ? Because He really is. We really are in union with Him. That's a question we have to ask. And I hope you think on those things this week as we move toward Easter and the resurrection. I hope you'll think about that as we come to this table, where we have the fruit of the vine and the the bread, and where we, we celebrate His death and His shedding of blood for the new covenant. Paul said that we're to use this table as a point of examination. When you come to this table, examine yourself. Pray, Lord, show me Show me sin in my life that needs to be dealt with. Lord, use this table, these elements that we take as sort of a searchlight into my soul to to point point out to me what is not pleasing to you. And, And then confess it before him. Confess it in him. And receive that cleansing that comes from the blood of Christ. If you're here this morning, you're a believer, you've trusted Christ, and you're a baptized believer. I invite you to share in this meal with us. This is not the Grace Baptist meal, it's not the Baptist meal. It's the Lord's meal, Lord's Supper. And I invite you to come to this table with us this morning if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're a part of his family. And I invite you to take it seriously, though, and soberly, and, 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 and parents. I'm not going to come by and try to police your children. That's your job. Just, if you have an, um, a child that's never professed Christ and, and been baptized, just encourage them, help them to pass it on and not take up. But I invite you to come to this table with a desire to know him better, a desire to fellowship in him and fellowship with him, commune with him in this meal. Would you bow your heads with me? Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to ask those who are going to be serving the elements to come and join me. Prepare themselves as we serve this this morning. You continue to Pray. Continue setting your mind on things above, on Him, as we prepare to serve.